Amen. Thank you, ladies. Judges chapter 8, if you will. Judges and chapter number 8. And while you're turning there, I have to uh, share with you this morning, while we've been battling winter here and the blizzard-like conditions in Portland, and uh, uh, I need to tell you that, um, you know, the Mutchlers are suffering as well this morning. And they wanted me to share with you, actually they didn't, but I'm going to share with you, that they're ministering in uh, Florida this morning. And it's supposed to be the warmest. It's, it's been in February in a long time. It's supposed to be in the upper 80s. So pray for them as they seek to minister there. And uh, no, they actually, in fact, Thursday I had to take them to the airport and we... You know, we had to brave the conditions to get there, uh, and it was a fun, uh, it's been a fun journey for them, but they got there, and going to try to spend a couple extra days maybe in the sun, which they deserve it, um, but anyways, I thought I'd share that with you t- today, and uh, we're happy for them, even though we'd like a blast of that 85 degree weather, huh? Uh, that would be good. That will come soon enough, I'm sure, and uh, Judges chapter 8 and verse 31, we're going to continue our series, and a series, uh, fighting uh, fleshly uh, fulfillment. And of course, Gideon showed us several areas, eight different areas, the need for recognition, how to deal with rejection, uh, the need to achieve relevance, only to find out he had to learn how to handle revenge, which he didn't do well. Uh, he, had to, he struggled with resentment, uh, riches, um, uh, regress. He led the children of Israel back to idolatry and then uh, had to struggle with royalty or uh, the affluence and what power comes and how power changed him. And uh, we're going to look on some more today, even though Gideon's past, we're going to see this played out through his son. And so we'll see his son picked up on some things from his dad that uh, his dad probably wished he wouldn't have, but he did. And we're going to see how that affected the children of Israel even more. And so, uh, without further ado, if you could stand to your feet, we'll read uh, the scripture this morning and then uh, you can be seated. Uh, we'll start in verse number 31 of chapter 8 and we'll read through a few verses of chapter 9. And his concubine that was in Shechem, she also bare him a son whose name he called Abimelech. And Gideon the son of Joash died in a good old age and was buried in the sepulcher of Joash his father in Ophrah of the Abiezrites. And it came to pass, as soon as Gideon was dead, that the children of Israel turned again and went a-whoring after Balaam and made Baalbareth their god. And the children of Israel remembered not the Lord their God, who had delivered them out of the hands of all the enemies on every side. Neither showed they kindness to the house of Jerubal, namely Gideon, according to all the goodness which he had showed unto Israel. And then chapter one, verse or chapter nine, verse one. And Abimelech the son of Jerubal went to Shechem unto his mother's brethren and communed with them and with all the family of the house of his mother's father, saying, "Spake I pray thee unto you." Speak, I pray you, in the ears of all the men of Shechem, whether it is better for you, either that all the sons of Jerubal, which are threescore and ten persons, reign over you, or that one reign over you. Remember also that I am bone, I am your bone and your flesh. Lord, we sure do love you. Thank you for loving us, and thank you for the opportunity we have to be in your house this morning. Thank you for those who are able to make it today a mix of wintry conditions. Um, Lord, be with those in our children's ministry, our nursery, and Lord, be with those in our teens, Lord, upstairs. I pray that they'll hear from you today, from the people you have preaching the gospel to them. I pray you'll be with those who are here in the service today. May we open up our hearts and ears to you. Be with those who are maybe tuning in online and aren't able uh, to be here today due to work or health maybe or just the weather conditions. I pray that they'll know that you're real and you'll hold them close today. I pray that you'll help me to get out of the way and may you flow through me. And Lord, may you give me the words to say, we definitely need you, Lord. We've got to have you today. We sure do love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. A tired old pastor was at home resting and through the window, he saw a woman approaching the door. She was one of those two talkative people, if you've ever met one of those, and he was not anxious to talk with her. He said to his wife, I'll just duck upstairs and wait until she goes away. An hour passed and he tiptoed to the stair landing and listened. Not a sound. He was very pleased, so he started down calling loudly to his wife. Well, my dear, did you get rid of that old boar at last? The next moment he heard the voice of the same woman caller. And she couldn't possibly have missed hearing him. 
Two steps down, he saw them both staring up at him. It seemed truly a crisis moment. A quick-thinking pastor's wife answered, Yes, my dear, she went away over an hour ago, but Mrs. Jones has come to call in the meantime, and I'm sure you'll be glad to greet her. And, uh, you know, there's times in our life where we stick our foot in our mouth, is it not? And there's times in our life where we say things and we immediately regret it. There's times sometimes we act in ways that really aren't pleasing to the Lord. And we see that in the life of Abimelech. He gets himself into a pickle, but mainly because he allows his fleshly uh, desires, his fleshly needs to be fulfilled instead of what God would have for him to do. And I think it's important today that we learn from his life. And we don't necessarily emulate what he did, but we try to learn what not to do today. And what's interesting is Abimelech is the first person here that's mentioned in Scripture that is not a God-appointed judge. He tries to insert himself into the very leadership role that only God had the capability of filling. He was really a false judge. He was really one who was put there by his own account and some of the people's account and not by God's Choosing. So if you're writing this morning, we see four different areas today that we can learn from him and that we can help apply in our life. Of course, the fourth point isn't so much learning from him. It's learning how we should respond to someone who is filled with fleshly fulfillment and trying to lead us astray. And so number one this morning, if you're writing, we see the lack of remembrance, the lack of remembrance. If you remember from last week, this all started from uh, Gideon's golden ephod. He was... Of course, uh, asking a request for people to give money. He did not want to be king. They asked him to be king. He says, I will not rule over you. Only God will. But then he starts living the rest of his life, living like a king without the leadership responsibilities. And we see that he gets all this money. It's almost $2 million in today's terms of money from uh, the Ishmaelites. And he takes all this money and he beats it down into this golden ephod and he puts it on. It's always something the priest should wear. And the ephod already was a beautiful piece. uh, And it was a symbol that shows that you can get to God through the priest. But Gideon wants to have that on himself. And we see instead of being in Shiloh where the temple was and the tabernacle was he tried to bring it to Oprah, which was his place of living. And he wanted to also get more power and control from the Ephraimites, which had Shiloh in its midst. And he wanted to be more powerful and hold the, the power strings, if you will, not just physically, but on the spiritual aspects. And we see that he made this ephod and all Israel, verse 27, went thither a whoring after it. And it became a snare unto Gideon, and his house, and eventually not just Gideon, but all the people. And Shechem there, Gideon then starts acting like a king, and he's marrying other wives, and one of them was a concubine in Shechem. Uh, Shechem was a very powerful city, a Canaanite city, and he wanted their rule, he wanted their power on with himself, so he marries this concubine, or he gets this concubine, he yokes together with them, he gets the powerful Shechemites behind him, and then he bears a son. That son was called Abimelech, and what's interesting about his son is he named him Abimelech, which means, my father is the king. And of course, we know that God was really the king, but Abimelech, like his other brothers, gets used to living as a prince. And from birth, Abimelech becomes an outsider, if you will, to the rest of the kids uh, and the family because he's not uh, a, a true, he's, he's kind of come from a, a concubine, if you will, but he did not maybe stand to inherit much, but he did get the feelings of royalty. He get, get, get the opportunities that the other uh, boys got, and he got used to them. But it's interesting, after Gideon passes, the Bible says in verse 33, that the children of Israel turned again and went a-whoring after Balaam and made Balbareth their god. And Balbareth there means a new covenant. So literally, the children of Israel made a new covenant, not with God, but with Baal. And they basically forsook their covenant that they had made with God. But it's interesting that God never forgot the covenant he made with Abraham, with his people. And it shows us that we can turn from God, but God never turns from us. And it's interesting today that Gideon passes away and the children of Israel turn from him and they go whoring after Balaam. And the children of Israel remember not the Lord, verse number 34. What a sad verse who had delivered them out of all the hands of all the enemies on every side. 
And because they've been encouraged by Gideon, the children of Israel now find themselves wholeheartedly embracing Baal worship. And Matthew Henry says, no wonder if those who forget their God forget their friends. And the children of Israel, in verse 35, neither showed they kindness to the house of Jerubal, namely Gideon, according to all the goodness which he had shown unto Israel. And what's interesting to me is that now Abimelech and now all the brothers of, of his, that are Gideon's children, go from living the, the life of a prince of power and affluence and wealth to not having anything. People forgot about them. And Abimelech did not forget about that posh lifestyle, and he wanted it back. And he knew that he would have to act, and he would have to act fast. And so we see this morning that uh, Shechem, of course, is the fresh apostasy center. This is where uh, the, the wickedest people are in Israel, the people who have moved on from God, and now is appointed judge. And before we get into Abimelech, may we see this morning that these people forgot to remember the Lord their God. We say, well, how can they do that? I mean, God let them out of Midianites. How in the world could they do that? Well, may I say this morning, F.E. Marsh described what the children of Israel had forgotten. They'd forgotten the deliverances of the Lord. In Deuteronomy 5.15, I remember that thou wast a servant in the land of Egypt, and that the Lord thy God brought thee out thence through a mighty hand and by a stretched out arm. Therefore, the Lord thy God commanded thee to keep the Sabbath day. They had forgotten the very deliverances of God. But not so much the deliverance of God, they also forgot the way in which God led. Deuteronomy 8, verse 2, For the Lord thy God bringeth thee into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and deaths that spring out of a valley and hills. And every time the children of Israel followed the Lord, they got to enjoy that bountifulness. But every time they lost track of the Lord and started following after Baal and their own selfishness, they started getting into a world of hurt. And so we see they forgot the deliverances of the Lord, the way he had led, and the blessings he had bestowed upon them. They forgot the victories he had won. They forgot the encouragements he had given through Joshua 23 and verse number 14. It's so interesting to me that the children of Israel forgot everything good God had done. And we look at those people and say, what are you thinking? May I say today, we're all guilty of forgetting, are we not? There's a story about a man named Sam. He stopped for gas in Montgomery, Alabama. The story goes on, it's a true story by the way, that he drove more than five hours before noticing he had left someone behind. And that person was none other than his wife. So at the next time he asked, the next town he got to, he asked the police to help him get in touch with her. This was before they had cell phones. Sam called his wife, who the police had found. <laughs> To tell her he was on his way back. That's a good move. Okay. And while he was on the phone call, Sam admitted with great embarrassment that he hadn't just noticed. She wasn't gone. He just, he didn't even notice her absence for five hours. Could you imagine admitting that to your wife? Talk about living in the doghouse for the next ten years. Okay. How in the world did Sam forget his wife? I don't know. But I do know something that we all can do that with our relationship with God, can we not? We actually fail to remember the one who created us. Oftentimes we'll forget about the very one who redeemed us. Oh, we will not say we did, but our actions prove that way. And how is this possible? I don't rightly know how we can forget about God's deliverance. I don't rightly know how sometimes I've forgotten about the way God wants me to go. I've not... Sometimes I've forgotten about the encouragement he's given me, and I've forgotten about the victories. I've often forgotten even about the blessings he's given me. How do I do that? I don't know. How do you do that? I don't know. But I do know one thing. We're all guilty of forgetting. And I think maybe we need to understand that when we serve an idol or we chase after something that takes the place of God's presence in our life, we can become into an intense relationship with it. By the way, idols always use us. They never benefit us. They do not truly care for us. God does not merely want us to know and obey him as a citizen obeys a king or as a sheep follows a shepherd because he doesn't want to feel the hook, shepherd's staff. I think God instead wants a relationship with us that a husband has with his wife, a relationship they're continually building and getting closer together. And God wants that same relationship with you and me. He wants you to seek after him. By the way, when you seek after him, he'll be found. He wants you to spend time with him. 
He wants you to have that sweet relationship with him. He wants you to know that he is there. He wants to know that you're right there. By the way, our leaning characteristics will keep us from this. Psalms 51 verse 5, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Jeremiah 17, 9, The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked, who can know it? Mark 7, verse 21, tells us what we're capable of doing. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, the Bible says, and defile the man. Jesus was teaching his disciples that. What do you think of the disciples struggled with that, who lived with Jesus 24-7 for three years? We also can struggle with that as well, even though the Holy Spirit dwells within us as Christians. We see this morning that we all have the capability to forget God. But may I encourage us to spend much time with God on a daily basis, and we will not fail to remember him. And so we see this morning the lack of remembrance, but as we continue on, we see also the need to rule here, the need to rule. We get into chapter uh, 9, verse 1. The Bible says, And Abimelech, the son of Jerubal, went to Shechem unto his mother's brethren. Now keep in mind, as I mentioned earlier, that this young man uh, did the one thing that never had been done yet. God had always appointed a judge, but he was trying to insert himself as the judge and as a leader of his people. He's trying to grasp rule for himself. He knows that he cannot do it on his own, so he goes to the most powerful area, if you will, the powerful city, his uh, mother's uh, uh, brothers, if you will, of Shechem, then Judges 9, verse 1, and he goes to Shechem unto his mother's brethren and communed with them and with all the family of the house of his mother's father, saying, and we see a necessary recruitment here, if you're writing a necessary recruitment, he points out that he is a son of his king-like father and a kinsman of theirs. In other words, he says, I will have your best interest at heart if you put me in. I mean, all my other brothers don't know you like I do. My, in fact, we're a flesh with each other. My mom is your, is your, is your sister. And please, please, please understand that if, if I'm going to be this next ruler, I'm the best possible ruler you could have. And he says in verse 2, Speak, I pray you, in the ears of all the men of Shechem, whether it is better for you, either that all the sons of Jerubal, which are threescore and seven persons, reign over you, or that one reign over you. Remember also that I am your bone and your flesh. And he contrives, and he's trying to stir up jealousy and alarm in them. It's interesting, because Abimelech's brothers had never even tried to be the next ruler. I mean, Gideon denied it. They denied it too. But yeah, Abimelech's trying to deceive these men into thinking, they're all going to come after you. They're all going to cry for their leadership, so you better just stick with me. Isn't that how Satan always tries to twist things, and Satan always tries to get us to believe a lie? But the Shechemites agree. The Bible says in verse 3, And his mother's brethren spake of him in the ears of all the men of Shechem, all these words, and their hearts inclined to follow Abimelech, for they said, He is our brother. Basically said, well, whether he's a capable leader or not, he's our relative, so he's probably the best leader there is. And we see that their necessary recruitment turns into unnecessary roughness. Unnecessary roughness, if you're writing. Then they take money out of the church coffers to fend this coop in verse 4. And they gave him threescore and ten pieces of silver out of the house of Belbereth, wherewith Abimelech hired vain and light persons. Uh, vain or light persons were bodyguards. They were spear bearers. And in fact, in the Hebrew, it's really the, the word that shows us scoundrels. It's, it's really hired mercenaries. There is nothing moral about these men. They're simply men, attackers for hire. And they, have, they don't care what happens. I'm basically doing what I do as a, any other job. Give me money and I'll take care of business. The men of Shechem knew that Abimelech could not do this on his own. So they give him 70 pieces of silver and they say, go hire an army. So he does. He hires an army to set up his tyranny. May I just say today that the Shechemites are grasping here. They're doing whatever they're influenced to do, and they pick an awful leader. May I say, if we're not careful, we can also choose the wrong leaders who influence us. We can be impressed by qualities that are unimportant to God. God does not prize popularity, humor, or academic intelligence. He doesn't even choose someone who always has a great great personality. But what he's looking for 
is what Samuel tells us God said in 1 Samuel 16, 7. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his statue, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. And God is looking for men who hold to his truth, seek to lead their family right, that are patient, self-controlled. We see this laid out for us as Paul admonishes, admonishes Timothy in 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7, as he admonishes Titus in, in Paul's pastoral epistles in chapter 1, 6 through 9. God doesn't always want well-mannered, well-dressed, 24, 21st century equivalents of Bimelech. No, he wants someone with the right qualities, the right heart, the right spirit, not the opposite. So we see this morning, when we choose leaders, may we choose someone who has God as their heartbeat. And who wants to please God with their life. One time, Andrew Carnegie was the wealthiest man in America. He came to America from Scotland, where he didn't have much. He did a variety of odd jobs, and eventually led the largest steel manufacturer in the United States. And at one time, he had 43 millionaires working for him. Back then, a million dollars was equivalent to $20 million today. Uh, uh, A reporter asked Carnegie one time, how in the world had he found 43 millionaires to work for him? Carnegie responded that none of these men were millionaires when they came. The reporter asked, how did you develop these men to become so valuable to you, that you paid them this much money? And Carnegie replied, men are developed the same way gold is mined. When gold is mined, several tons of dirt must be moved to get an ounce of gold. But it doesn't go into the mine looking for dirt. One goes looking for the gold. And I think that's something that Jesus Christ can do, not necessarily for gold's sake. But I'm thankful this morning that when Jesus picked his disciples, he picked men that a lot of people didn't understand why. May I say this morning, I'm thankful for a God who's still working on me to make me what he wants to be. And if we'll give our life to God, he finds the gold in us. He's the potter. We're just the clay. And he can mold and make us into exactly what he wants us to be. But Abimelech didn't want that. No, no, no. Abimelech wanted what his flesh wanted. My dear friend, when we follow the flesh, we're going to fail every time. But when we give God our life and allow him to work through us, through his word, through his Holy Spirit, through his workings in our life, he can get us to far greater heights than we could ever imagine. And so we see this morning the, 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 the lack of remembrance. We see the need to rule. But I want us to see, number three, the rekindled rage. And I call it rekindled because it's really the same thing his father struggled with. The Bible says in verse number five, And he went unto his father's house at Ophrah and slew his brethren, the sons of Jerubal, being threescore and ten persons upon one stone. Wow. What a mighty ruler. Bimelech, you're the man. How in the world did he kill 70 of his brothers on a stone? Have you ever thought about that? How does one man get all of his brothers and kill them by himself and his band of mercenaries? Well, many people believe that it was just like Absalom when he brought, he sees the opportunity in 2 Samuel 13, verse 23, of some local or family feast. Perhaps they were celebrating Gideon's great achievement and his call to to God and it was a yearly thing a festivity that they had they had put in their family's history and all the brothers came together and they were having a feast perhaps and Abimelech brought his mercenaries and they captured them all and one by one they killed each man upon the same stone it was almost execution style could you imagine what twisted and brother would do that one young man escaped his name was Jotham the Bible says the youngest son of Jerubal was left for he hid himself Common among Oriental dictators, anticipating conspiracies, they would destroy their own brethren and their own kinsmen so that they couldn't have a chance for the crown. Isn't it interesting that Abimelech's own father killed his own countrymen in Succoth and Peniel? And now Abimelech is killing his own family, following in the steps of his father. May I encourage us today that our children are watching what we do. And just because they do wrong doesn't necessarily mean they're because of us. But what they see, they will learn. May we get encouraged today by Gideon and Bimelech's life to try to lead them in the right path. 
We see that in verse number 6, because of this, all the men of Shechem gathered together in all the house of Milo and went and made Abimelech king by the plain of the pillar that was in Shechem. What would cause a man to be so twisted as this? Well, as the Peanuts cartoon Lucy said to Charlie Brown, I hate everything. I hate everybody. I hate the whole world, Charlie said, but I thought you had inner peace. Lucy said, I do have inner peace, but I still have outer obnoxiousness. Reminds me of the young mother and her little boy who were driving down the street. The little boy said, Mommy, why do the idiots only come out when Daddy drives? (laughs) Now, people are watching us. I've been guilty of that. Maybe not saying idiot, but what are you doing? Did you see me there? You had to have seen me, you know, and you get right on their tail. And you remember, oh, no, that could be a church member. (laughs) Or it could be someone who's going to see me and say, why would a pastor do that? And I would say, you're exactly right. Why would a pastor do that? We we, we struggle with that sometimes, do we not? Our rage. Rage comes up. And and I, I really think that it all comes from the heart. And we know this. But Jeremiah reminds us in 17, verse 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Ezekiel 36, verse 26, a new heart also will I give you and a new spirit will I put within you. Why? Because I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh. Now I'll give you a heart of flesh. So the heart is deceitful above all things. That shows us a need of a Savior. But even when we get given a new heart, guess what happens? Proverbs 23, verse 7. For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Even though you are saved, doesn't mean you still doesn't have those, those things that well up inside you because of your thought life. And it's interesting to me that the result of, of rage is usually broken expectations. The Bible says in Jeremiah 17, verse 5, Thus saith the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man, and maketh flesh his arm, and whose heart departeth from the Lord. In other words, the only person that you should have expectations of is God. Realize man is probably going to fail you. Why? Because we're flesh. But God never lets us down. Speaking of broken expectations, this week was very cold. You know, uh, I have cattle and every morning I had to go out and chip the ice away. And the one day I realized, great, they're probably cold and wake up to breakfast uh, their hay and feed and have to drink ice water. So I brought down some hot water and I was going to pour it in there to make it a little more warmer. I was proud of myself. I thought, what a great farmer I am, rancher I am. And who does this? Who takes hot water down their cattle? And there was two buckets and three calves. And the two went for it and the third one wanted it. And uh, was pushing them away. And before long, a bucket went over. I thought, you dirty dog. What's your problem? So I took the other bucket and I gave it to the one that pushed it over because I'm a nice, caring guy like that, only to find the calf knocked it over. No water. That was, unreal, that was unmet expectations on my end. You brown Swiss calf, what, you were dumb. And I commenced to think some thoughts about that calf I probably shouldn't have. You crazy thing, what are you thinking? And the Lord calmly reminded me of the message I was preaching this week. And I thought, okay. And there was that battle inside of me. You know what I thought? You can just go thirsty. And then I thought, no, that's probably not a good thing. So I brought him water. And I had this struggle. And I wanted to take a little bit of my rage out on this calf. Who, by the way, is twice my size. So who's going to win anyways? And I thought about it, I contemplated it, and I thought, what am I going to do? Listen to the spirit or listen to the flesh? I guess you'll never know. Okay. And uh, anyways, self-control came in. All right. My point is, every day we have unmet expectations, do we not? And that's usually when rage comes because someone doesn't do what we wanted them to do. Or someone does something crazy that we think is idiotic and we need to let them know about it. That's why God gave us a horn, right? But you know, when rage comes, how do we deal with it? Well, here's some biblical principles. Number one, if you're writing, to capture our thoughts, we must examine and recognize 
those thoughts that aren't good. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of God. We got to examine and we got to recognize is that thought good or bad? If it's bad, don't dwell on it. Get rid of it. Cast it all away. Capture it and give it to God. All right? Also, we must, with the Holy Spirit's help, attack the problem, not the person or the brown Swiss calf. Okay? Attack the problem. Galatians 5.16, This I say, then walk in the Spirit, and you should not fulfill the lust of the flesh. By the way, when we respond to rage in a sinful way, we are declaring that we are walking in the flesh. And then third of all, Make a personal choice of biblical forgiveness. Of biblical forgiveness. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10, To whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgive anything to whom I forgave it, for your sakes forgave I it and the person of Christ. Verse 11, Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. You know, the more you harbor bitterness inside of you, the less of forgiveness comes out, the more rage you're going to have built up. Now, there's just a few quick points. I'm sure tonight, uh, Brother Cameron's going to give us a, some, uh, a session on dealing with anger management, and it'll be way more in-depth. So if you're struggling with this area, I encourage you to come back and listen to that tonight. But my, my encouragement to all of us is when that emotion wells up in us, how do we respond to it? Have I always responded the right way? Absolutely not. But I do know if I apply biblical principles and run to the Holy Spirit, it can really help us, uh, uh, keep us from a lot of potential problems that we could get ourselves in. Why? Because Satan wants to take advantage of us. He wants to get us to go wrong. He wants us to do things we should not do. But aren't you thankful this morning, as Matthew 6, verse 15 says, but if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Aren't you thankful this morning that Jesus Christ forgave you and I? In our sin, it kept us from Jesus. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short. The Bible says, wherefore, as by one man sin into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Our sin is keeping us from God. The Bible says there, for the wages of sin is death. Our punishment of sin is death and hell. But the gift of God is Jesus, uh, uh, the gift of God is Jesus, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Aren't you thankful today Jesus Christ was willing to go to the cross after being beaten and bloodied and shedding that blood? Every effort to pull up and get a breath, he says, It is finished. But before that, he said one of the most wonderful phrases ever Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Aren't you thankful today that Jesus Christ forgave you and I for our sin? By the way, if you do not know Christ, he did that for you too, whether you know you need it or not. All you must do is cry out to God for forgiveness. I'm thankful for the day I gave my life to Christ. It changed everything in my life. And so we see this morning the lack of remembrance. We see this morning the need to rule. We see this morning his rekindled rage. But then I want to step in. I told you the last point was more about the right way to respond to someone who is, is led by their flesh. And we see his sensible rival, his sensible rival, I'm sorry, rival. Uh, there's one half of his brother, uh, one half brother escapes. We mentioned that was Jotham. And, and it's interesting, while Abimelech means my father is king, Jotham means Yahweh. In other words, the Lord is perfect. The Lord is blameless. And we see two different boys here, two different brothers. One was, was, was following after the flesh. The other one was taking a stand and following after righteousness. And he gets up in front of everybody. It's interesting. In the next verse there, Jotham calls out to the men of Shechem. I believe in verse number seven. And when they told it to Jotham, he went and stood in the top of Mount Gerizim. Could you imagine after 68 of your brothers have been killed by the same rock, and you're the one, only one to escape, he gets up in front of all the men of Shechem, and he lifts up his voice, and he shares this with the men. And the Bible says, And when they told it to Jotham, he cried and said unto them, Hearken unto me, ye men of Shechem, that God may hearken unto you. And there's a battle of the hearts and minds here. You have the human self-reliant power, Abimelech, and you have the reliance on and worship of the Lord, and that's Jotham. 
And the story of Jotham here, that Jotham tells them a parable here to show them the ridiculousness of them choosing Abimelech to be their leader. And so we'll go through the story quickly. The Bible says in verse number 8, if you're writing, he talks about the olive trees, the olive trees. The Bible says, The trees went forth on a time to anoint a king over them, and they said unto the olive tree, Reign thou over us. But the olive tree said unto them, Should I leave my fatness? Wherewith by me they honor God and man and go to be promoted of the trees. The olive trees were probably one of the most valuable trees in that area. They brought much wealth. This could have represented Gideon, who God had put in place. Um, but we also see the fig trees. The Bible says there in verse number 10, if you're writing the fig trees, this was the national tree, if you will, of Israel. It was something special. It's a whole other study I don't have time to get into. But the fig tree was very important to them. And the trees said to the fig tree, Come thou and reign over us. But the fig tree said unto them, Should I forsake my sweetness and my good fruit and go to be promoted of the trees? What are these trees saying in this parable? They're saying, hey, I know we are capable. We could have even been a good leader over you. But we are not going to stop doing the, 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 the plan God has for our life to do what you think we need to do. Every time up to this, God has installed a judge and a leader of his choosing. And he is going to continue to do that today. And that's really what the brothers were saying. We have not grasped for rule. We have not desired rule in this kingdom because we, like our Father, have no desire to rule over you. We want God to rule over you, and we will do as God chooses if he wants to use us. And then we get into the last vine, if you will, if you're writing the vines in verse 12. Then said the trees unto the vine, Come down, reign over us. And the vine said unto them, Should I leave my vine, which cheereth God and man, and go to be promoted of the trees? Why would I leave my purpose for God for my life just to appease what you want? These are valuable. These are the ones that produce the main crops for the Israelite agricultural economy. These were better, more capable leaders, but they're not going to lead because they're going to let God put them in that position, so if he will. But the men of Shechem pass on these men. We see in verse 14, Then said all the trees into the bramble, Come thou and reign over us. Now a bramble was a thorn tree, it was a thorn bush. It was not valuable. It was short. It was scraggy. It could not provide shade. It could not even provide fruit. In fact, what the bramble was known for was bursting in the flame and burning the whole countryside. It was not a good choice. In fact, it was the worst choice possible. And the thorn bush points this out that he could burst in the flame. It says, And the bramble said in verse 15, Under the trees, if in truth ye anoint me king over you, then come and put your trust in my shadow. And if not, let fire come out of the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon. Now, the cedars of Lebanon are like our redwood trees uh, in California. And I think there's some here in Oregon as well. But that's what they were like. They're big, powerful, impressive trees. And the bramble says, I will destroy you if you don't put me as a leader. Now, how ridiculous is this? Really, could Abimelech really destroy the people if they wouldn't have put him as a leader? He could have done nothing had he not had the men of Shechem on his side and the mercenaries that were, were with him. He did not have the power of God as Gideon had. He did not have the power of God as Ehud had. He didn't have the power of God as Deborah and Barak had. He didn't have the power of God like Othniel had. He didn't have any of that power of God. He had his own twisted mindset and what he tried to make happen. And Jotham says, hey, in verse 16, Now therefore, if ye have done truly and sincerely in that ye have made Abimelech, King, and ye have dwelt, dealt well with Jerubal in his house, and have done unto him according to the deserving of his hands. For my father fought for you, and adventured his life afar, and delivered you out of the hand of Midian. And ye are risen up against my father's house this day, and have slain his sons. You didn't do it, Abimelech did, but you empowered Abimelech to do it. You're the one who's responsible for all my brothers being killed. And have made Abimelech the son of maidservant, king over the Men of Shechem, because he is your brother. Verse 19, if ye then have dealt truly and sincerely with Jerubal and his house this day, then rejoice ye in Abimelech and let him also rejoice in you. But if not, let fire come out from Abimelech and devour the men of Shechem and the house of Milo and let fire come out of the men of Shechem and from the house of Milo and devour Abimelech. And we'll see next week how this all transpires and how this all comes about. But it's interesting to me that Jotham's really giving... These men a choice. You either can choose God and God, God's ordained judge to be your ruler, or you can choose Abimelech, who's full of the flesh. He, he resembles Baal, if you will, and the selfish uh, thing. You can let him lead you, 
But I'm telling you, the end is not going to come out well. By the way, this is all faith, is it not? Because at this point, nothing really bad had happened to them. May I say, the Bible says, be sure your sin will find you out. And though your sin, teenager, seems great right now, it can destroy you. It will destroy you. And though there's things that maybe you're flirting with right now, and God says, hey, don't do it. My word says not to. Ah, what's the big deal? Well, we're going to see next week how Abimelech, what happens to him. But may I say this morning, we're all faced with a choice. Joshua 24, verse 14. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt and serve you the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Jotham said, hey, whoa, wait a minute here. You're doing the wrong thing, leaders of Shechem. You're doing wrong. You're, you're choosing a path that's not going to end well. Uh, leaders of Shechem are faced with a choice. And may I say, you and I are both faced with a choice today. Will we serve God or will we serve flesh? We serve the world and the devil. Who will you choose? Garibaldi, the great Italian military hero from the 19th century, raised an incredibly committed volunteer army. His appeal for recruits was rather unique as he offered only these terms. I offer neither pay nor quarters, nor provisions. I offer hunger, thirst, forced marches, battles, and death. Let him who loves his country with his heart and not with his lips only follow me. And it's interesting, the story goes, Garibaldi, as history shows us, brought many people together and got a great victory. But we see this morning that Garibaldi is not the first to make such an altar offer. The Son of God came to earth, did he not? To bring salvation and train up disciples to carry the gospel of salvation to the world. And Jesus invites you to be his disciple. But his invitation is for you to join him. It's not a request by him to join where you are, but to join with him. Jesus lets us know up front that there is a disciplined commitment that is going to cost you everything. And the road walking with Jesus is not always easy, is it not? And to paraphrase Garibaldi, let him who loves the Lord with his heart and not with his lips only be Jesus' disciple. May I encourage us today to choose, as Joshua did, as Jotham did, to serve the right God, Jesus Christ, our Savior, our creator of everything. Say no to the world, the flesh, and the God of this world. And may we choose the right choice. But what's going to happen to Abimelech? Where's God in all this? God's not mentioned at all so far. I mean, it's interesting that God would allow all these brothers to be killed. God would allow all this to happen. It's crazy. It's, it's obscure. It makes no sense. Is God even around? What's God going to do? Well, may I say God is in control. And we're going to see that next week. So I guess you got to come back and see next week. Don't read ahead. Oh, you can. But... My point is, I, my son, I, I shared some of this in chapel this week, and he said later at dinner, Daddy, Daddy, why do you always stop in the best part of the story? I said, because if I share the whole thing, I don't have enough time. But I hope and pray that we'll learn, as Jotham did, that it's not worth following after the world, the flesh, and the devil. But instead, put Jesus Christ first in our life. Every head bowed, every eye closed this morning. How many would say this morning... Maybe, Pastor Justin, I guess I did not realize what Jesus Christ did for me. I didn't realize my sin was keeping me from God. I didn't realize the payment of my sin was death and hell. I didn't realize that my good works, my good efforts are not enough. Um, without the gift of God, I have no hope. I, have, I don't know what I'm going to do. I never realized that today. And I've, I've tried to live life in such a way that it's pleasing to myself I've tried to do right. I've tried to do good things. I've gone to church. I've, I've given money. I've helped the poor. I've done all these things. But I realized today, as Nicodemus said, that you must be born again. Not physically, but spiritually. And there's never been a time in my life when I put Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And I, I want to do that today. If God would let me. If Jesus Christ would be willing to come into my life and save me and forgive me, as he said on the cross, I would let him. With heads bowed and eyes closed, no one's looking around. I don't want to embarrass anyone. And 
Hopefully no one's moving around at this time. This is a very serious time. How many would say this morning with heads bowed and eyes closed, Pastor Justin, that's me. I want to accept Christ in my life. I want to do that today. If that's you, will you slip up your hand? I want to pray for you. That's all I want to do. I just want to pray for you. If anybody this morning say, Pastor Justin, that's me. I don't know for sure I'm going to heaven. Anybody this morning? Maybe there was some, say, someone would say, you know what? I know for sure I'm going to heaven, Pastor Justin, but I'll be honest with you. I've, I've dealt with rage. I've dealt with this lack of remembrance of God sometimes. I, I, I hate to admit it. I've, I've dealt with um, this need for power and control, and I realize today that I just need to give that to God. God spoke to my heart somewhere across this sermon today, and I just need his help today. If that's you, will you slip up your hand? I want to pray for you. God bless you. God bless you all over. I see those hands. Maybe there's someone that would say, you know what, Pastor Justin, I, I was challenged by Jotham. I know some Abimelechs in my life, and I get so frustrated and so infuriated over them. And I realized tonight the best way to respond is just speak for truth and stand for truth. Will you pray for me, Pastor Justin, that I will be not ashamed of the truth and I will stand for truth. If that's you, will you slip up your hand? I want to pray for you. God bless you. I see those hands. And maybe there's someone tonight that would, this morning that would say, you know what, Pastor Justin, I'll be honest with you. I, I'm, I'm carrying a burden that maybe an Abimelech in my life has given me, or maybe God's putting me through a trial, or maybe I'm going through a part of my life that God's stretching me, and it's frustrating, it's hard, it's overwhelming. Will you just pray for me this morning? God will help me through this trial. If that's you, I want to pray for you. God bless you. I see those hands. Lord, you see the hands. You know the hearts. Lord, I don't know what all you want to do this morning, but I do know one thing. Your word is powerful, and you, you want to work in our hearts. There's some that need to make a decision this morning. I don't know what it is, but you do. Maybe it's dealing with some rage or self-control, or maybe it's dealing with some uh, uh, need for power or control in their life, and they want to give it to you. Pray you help them. Be with those who are carrying burdens and are overwhelmed, or may they give it to you. Be with those this morning that, or maybe need to take a stand for truth and be courageous. Uh, No, they're not purposely trying to upset the apple cart, but they're not going to back down. They're going to take a stand for truth and righteousness. I pray you'll give them the the courage to do that. Maybe there's someone this morning that needs to accept Christ as a Savior. They just didn't raise their hand earlier. May you help them make that decision today. May they know we have some pastors down here that would help love to talk to them and share that with them. Maybe there's someone that needs to follow it on baptism, or maybe they'd like to join the church and and they'd love to get some more information about that. Or maybe they just need one of our pastors to pray with them. I pray that they'll take care of that. Lord, I pray that as we open the invitation this morning that you'll stir in hearts and you'll move and you make us maybe maybe come forward and make a decision. Or maybe they're in our pews pray, but may we spend some time with you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. If you could stand to your feet, the piano's going to play and the altar's open. May you do with the message as God would have you do this morning. Uh, may I encourage you to follow the Lord as he's prompted your heart today. Come forward maybe if you would like to join the church or maybe you're interested in baptism or taking that next step, that outward um, display of our inward decision. Uh, Maybe you'd just like to uh, uh, have one of our pastors pray with you this morning. I encourage you to do as God would have you do this morning. just for another minute or so. We have a video we want to share with you uh, with some upcoming events. But before we do, um, Daniel Watts has come forward this morning. He got baptized a couple weeks ago, and he wants to officially join the church today. And so we definitely want to help him out with that. All in favor, say aye. 
All right, God bless you, Daniel. Welcome to the family, and we look forward to serving the Lord together. So proud of you and your family. What a blessing you are to our church. Uh, this time we're going to show a video. Uh, uh, please don't forget about our Level Up modules tonight. I promise you'll be helped if you can get back here. Uh, it will be an encouragement and help to you. And just 20, 25-minute sessions, and it will be a blessing to you. Let's watch our video. Good morning and thank you for joining us today. We hope this morning's service was a blessing to you. Join us tonight at 5 for our Level Up Teaching and Training Modules. Come and choose two of the ten modules on various topics from the lineup. Don't miss a special time of training with something for every Christian. We are looking forward to Youth Explosion. This public school youth revival will be on March 6th through 8th. As a result of this outreach, over 1,500 area teenagers have had the opportunity to accept Christ as their Savior. There are two ways to get involved. First, join us in prayer that God would bless our efforts and see many teenagers trust Christ as their Savior. Secondly, you can help us in giving as we prepare and plan this event. To donate, simply use a Youth Explosion envelope or designate Youth Explosion in your online giving. Join us next Sunday as we will be observing the Lord's Supper in the 5 p.m. service. Join us for a wonderful opportunity to help your child sing and develop their voices through our 2023 Children's Easter Choir. This is for children 5 years old through 5th grade. We will be performing during the dramatic musical production, Almighty, on Friday, April 7th at 7 p.m. and Sunday, April 9th at 11 a.m. Join us for practice on Sunday, March 12th at 5.30 p.m. If you are interested in having your child sing, please sign up at the welcome desk. If this is your first or second time here, we want to answer your questions and get to know you. Please fill out the Connect card in the pew in front of you and bring it to guest services as you exit the auditorium. We would love to meet you and you will receive a gift card. Have a great afternoon and we'll see you tonight at 5. Okay, remember two things. God loves you and this pastor loves you. We're praying for you. Hope you have a great week. You're dismissed.